Hey folks, it's Anatoly, and you're listening to the Solana No Sharding Podcast. And today I have Amir, who's the co-founder and CEO of Helium. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, awesome to have you. So um, Helium is is like a really special case, I think, in, in the space, right? Because you guys are doing something way different than anyone. You know, like Solana is doing something different, but it's still a blockchain. And what you guys are doing... You have to think about it and then be like, oh, this is like way more than that and a blockchain. Yeah, I think ours is different because we, we, we didn't want to build a blockchain. Like that wasn't the reason for what we do. We have always dreamed of building like a big low power wireless network for sensors and, and IoT devices. And this just seems like a really interesting way to do it, you know, to try and put the ownership in the hands of everyday people and sort of have them participate economically is like really different. Um, and I think a blockchain is a really good way of doing that. But so that's I, that's sort of the the difference I think in the approach with a lot of the stuff that I see out there. It's like they're sort of trying to make a blockchain fit into something, and just because they wanted to build a blockchain. And we were the opposite. Like we, with great reluctance, you know, got into the <laughs> and maybe because we just understand too much about distributed systems that we we just were like we don't want to do that if, unless we really have to. But it seems to have worked well. I mean, we've gotten gotten some good traction at the start, and so it's it, it seems to uh, seems to be resonating with people, which is cool. So, yeah, I would say like your unique story in the space is that you guys are using blockchain as a tool to solve a problem, right? <laughs> Versus yeah. just building a better tool. I and mean, I didn't want to put it that way and sound <laughs> yeah. like a arrogant and stuff, but, but yeah, that, that is sort of it, right? It's like we had, a, we had a problem that we think needs solving, that there is no good sort of ubiquitous low power connectivity in the world, at least not in the States. And blockchain seems like a really good tool to do that. And so we've, we've sold, I think, like four or five thousand hotspots, which are sort of the the mining devices on our network that create network coverage. Uh, it's already the largest low power wireless network in the country. It's growing at a rate that is sort of larger than anything else that looks anything like it. And so the, the strategy seems to work, and people seem excited by it. And I, I think it's, you know, I always think of, um, I, I'm always reminded of something like Oculus, right? So when Oculus launched, it was a Kickstarter. People put three or four hundred bucks or whatever. It was yeah. more than that actually in. Oculus gets acquired by Facebook for $3 billion and the early backers get a headset, right? Yeah. And, and so it, just ne it never seemed like that was the right structure for this stuff. Yeah. And so I think like putting the economics in the hands of, of people is an interesting, is a very interesting and powerful tool, I think, if, if directed the right way. Uh, so we got, I think I jumped ahead a little bit. Uh, so can you, can you like kind of describe what is Helium? Like what, what, what is like the cool tech part? Yeah, so it gets, it gets difficult at some level, but at, at a high level, it's like you, you want a low power wireless network that doesn't, that sort of looks like a cellular network, but doesn't use cellular technology, right? And so you want a way for like low power things, particularly like tracker, tracking devices, like sensors, stuff that people have come to know as IoT, to be able to like connect at a, in a very low cost, like power efficient way. Right. So, so are you guys operating in the unli unlicensed spectrum? Exactly. So we, we're in this sub gigahertz unlicensed Free, like unlicensed spectrum, it's like the 900 megahertz-ish range. And that goes through walls, right? Mostly, okay. yeah. I mean, the range is large. So like each hotspot device, and we always get in trouble for this because it depends like who you talk to. But like, so we've seen tens of miles of, of, of range from a single hotspot. Sometimes you might end up with like one or two square miles, depending where you put it, you know, like it, where you, how you mount the thing, like how sort of, what kind of view of the world you have. Like, is, are you not in a window? Or are you putting it in a corner of a room? That all matters for the range. But we think, you know, 150, 200 devices in a city gives you pretty good coverage. So like San Francisco, 200, 200 devices can cover the entire city? Yeah, I think we had pretty, when we first started demoing this, I think we had like 30 or 40 hotspots up. And that was pretty solid. Like we had the most of like the eastern side of San Francisco was pretty well covered. I think we have like 300 or so hotspots now in San Francisco, maybe more than that. Uh, and now the coverage is like very dense. Like wherever you go, like we have a bunch of test devices that we wander around with pretty much wherever you go, like you have a pretty good signal. Uh, and so it sort of resembles a cell network now, right? Like you just go outside and you turn the thing on and it just works, right? And, and that's, that's novel, that's different in this space where it's like sort of dominated by carriers who want you to sign contracts and like yeah. the, the, nothing is like set up for these kind of devices, right? It's all for iPhones and stuff. So do I have an IP on this network? No, it's not, an, it's not a TCP IP network. It's a RF network and then there's a, a server side component that like translates the RF into, in, into IP basically. So I'm imagining, right, there's a bunch of these random hotspots, right, and they all have some maybe different range depending on how they're, they're deployed and where. And how many, I guess, 
Like, where does the blockchain part come in? Like, so there's a few problems that I think were like difficult to solve in this space. One was that there've been a bunch of it. So, so the economics of like low power things is really hard, right? If you if you want to build a wireless network that services like low power sensors, it's an expensive proposition. Like you, the cost looks similar to building a cellular network, but you don't get paid back the same way you do with a cellular network, right? There's no one paying $200 a month like I do with yeah. my, maybe I just get overpay on my iPhone, but I pay $200 a month. No one's paying that for like a humidity sensor, right? Like just like not a thing that happens, right? Like people want to pay a dollar a year or they want to pay pennies per, per byte or, you know, or they want to be metered differently. And so you, you want a model that like distributes the, the, op, the sort of CapEx and the OpEx cost of like running a network. Like how do you, how do you sort of give it to other people, right? So that the network, that the network is built differently and, and, and costs differently. And so blockchain is kind of an interesting way of doing that. So that, that's one problem is that you want to sort of distribute the cost of like building the network, but still have it be part of like the same network. The other is this sort of roaming issue which, which exists, which is that today there are a bunch of low power wireless networks. They're all just disparate from each other, right? Like everyone is running their own little, you know, fiefdom. Uh, and there's no good protocol level or technological or economic solution that like makes it easy for someone to just have a sensor or a tracking device, but actually work on all those different networks. You just sort of work on your own network, and if you end up in the range of someone else's network, you're kind of screwed, right? You don't have the keys to that yeah. network. And so trying to use blockchain as like a routing system, so we, we sort of use the blockchain as some combination of like DNS and BGP um, for, for routing this kind of data is also a sort of novelty which, which allows people to like still treat this in a very decentralized way, but still participate in the, in the same network. So there's a way to like proxy from like some third-party network into Helium. Kind of. So I mean, if, if if you imagine it like everyone, so if you had a hotspot in your house, I don't think you even have one. We should give. I, I don't have one. Why not? I, I, I'm I'm running Solana and I'm running this podcast. <laughs> All right, we'll make sure you go we'll back to make sure you get one. But like, you're your own like cell tower operator, basically, yeah. right? Like hotspots are like mini cell towers, right? And and so, but you are still participating in a larger network. Um, but when your device, when your hotspot sees data coming from a sensor it can use the blockchain to figure out how to route it, right? So one of the major differences with what we're doing is that uh, there's no centralized like network server aspect to this, right? Like every time a packet is received by a hotspot, it can look in the blockchain, we use this like XOR filter, to figure out like, where am I sending, like whose is this? Like who, who, owns, who owns this device and where should I be delivering this data? So this, this is where I was kind of leading with the IP question because like internet infrastructure and the whole IP networks are People think it's decentralized, but if you actually look at how things are just just deployed, it's like a it's more of a tree than a graph, right? You have like very centralized points from which a bunch of stuff branches off. Yeah, and I think that's right. I mean, the most like, I mean, to me, the most obnoxious version of that is like certificate authorities. Yeah, right. Yeah, right? For, it's, yeah. it's like the most insidious kind of like group of people or or entities like controls what's secure and what isn't. Um, and so that's another thing that I, get, I think you get to do in a, in a structure like this is that um, there are no gatekeepers re really. Like to start at the start a little bit, right? Like we have to like launch the thing and just like you guys have to launch, like someone has to start, right? Yeah. And at the start it is fairly centralized, right? And there's, there's no, hopefully no one from the SEC is listening or whatever, but, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's <laughs> like it kind of has to be that way. Like someone has to like do it at the start and then you sort of move swiftly and quickly to like sort of remove yourself from the equation, which is, which is what we're doing and I think what everyone does. But yeah, I mean, our, our goal is that Helium Inc. can die and go away and everything that we've done is open source. Um, and then that should, this should live on and with or without us and with or without our hardware. And that's sort of the, the dream of all of it. And, Eventually, that will be annoying, right? Like people will make decisions that we don't like about how the network goes, yeah. and, and that's just the way. That's just the way it sort of has to be. Yeah, that, that's really cool. I mean, like, I, I that's like a really cool phenomenon that is really new to I think to tech, like building out these networks, jumpstarting them, and then not having a centralized company that's pushing it. You know, like. I have only like really seen this happen like in Linux, right? Like in the Linux kernel. But even that, there was like a couple big companies that kind of keep pushing it along, right? Like Red Hat for a long time. Now it's IBM and Google and like all, the, all those yeah. big firms. I mean, I think it's going to be, in our case, it's like we're not the only ones pushing what we're trying to do, right? Like there's demand for low power wireless networking, like with yeah. or without us, right? Like we're just a, a different kind of solution to the problem. 
And so I think that helps, right? It's like there are stakeholders that are both, you know, large businesses, everywhere from large businesses or enterprises, like down to developers who like want something like this to succeed, whether it's us or like something that looks like us eventually. Um, and so everyone's sort of motivated to like make that happen. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's different. I mean, we, we, I think the word decentralized is like banded about like a little bit loosely and um, getting there, I think is complicated and, and hard to, to do well and do securely. And, and so it's gonna be interesting to see how all this unfolds. I think a lot of the stuff that we've seen so far, it's been difficult to call it decentralized, especially with these massive pre-mines that, that, that people have where they sort of really own the economics of the network for a really long time. I think that that sort of, I don't want to say tarnishes the whole space, but it doesn't help, right? Yeah. You know, when yeah. you see guys like who own 90% of the token supply and stuff like that, it's just sort of farcical at some point, right? And so yeah. I think things seem to be improving though. We see like higher quality projects and like less of that kind of behavior going on. Yeah, crypto winter definitely, I think, froze out a lot of the, like the the weaker the weaker projects or the the I think the 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 less uh, at least it froze out it did freeze out some projects that just weren't able to raise the capital. Yeah, it's t- I mean it's tough. It's like all VC cycles, you know. It's right. like I've been in the startup space for for a long time now, and it's like you know, like there's always cycles, there's always bubbles. It was like you couldn't, I mean. Launching a social pro- launching a social networking product in like the early two thousands was like the best possible thing you could have done, and then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, you better not even be thinking about yep. having the word social like <laughs> yeah. anywhere near what you're doing. And so it's like it, I think it always goes in cycles yeah. like that. And then it was AI, and then it was like got rebranded as ML, and you know, like it just it's like a constant cycle. And I think crypto is just one of those things. Um, the amount of money in the ICO craze is certainly <laughs> certainly was. <laughs> Interesting, you know, yeah. we we had we were sort of keeping an eye on like some of the projects that were like doing IoT related things, and some of it is just like there is no universe in which like that company could raise 30, 40 million in like any normal scenario. Yeah. Yet in the ICO, it was like done in like seven minutes or something like that, right? And so it's just, <laughs> just like totally insane ph- phenomena. I'm not sure if we'll ever see it again, but I, I do like like letting random people participate in these tech companies. I think it's awesome, but that was uh, that was interesting. Yeah. I heard, I think, Balaji speak early on when I was just entering into the space. And he thought that the biggest innovation uh, in crypto was that it was the ability to pool global capital together and like into in, in into talent. Like it was actually like empowering capital even more because now it can come from anywhere and it didn't even matter whose money you were getting. Like what it, it didn't matter if it was A16Z or the most branded VC or just somebody that was like an Ethereum miner, right? I think that I mean, I, and I think that is an unbelievably powerful um, tool and, and phenomenon. Um, you know, the accredited investor laws I think are weird, bullshit if you want to call it. You know, like go extreme on another level. It's it's sort of weird to sort of tell people that you don't know what you're doing unless you make over two hundred grand. Yeah, um, and so I, I get the sort of ultimate purpose to, to that, but I, I do think it stifles the ability for like people to to participate in like wealth creation. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's like everyone miss like you can't participate in like tech wealth creation until it's too late, right? Until you're at the IPO stage, right. and all the money's already out, right? And, and, who, and so, who wants to buy Uber when, after it's publicly right. listed? <laughs> exactly. I mean, there's still there's still the practical reality of like, okay, how would you ever even get that deal? For, like, how would you even get into Uber, even if you were allowed to, right, at, at the start? So it's not it's not like a panacea for sure. But um, I think the real the problem was that like none of the stuff was real, right? Yeah. Like that was the yeah. if it all if most of it turned into like real projects that had real, you know. I mean, there's there's like eighty percent of the funds in Silicon Valley operate just simply by being here and trying to get into whatever deal A sixteen Z or Sequoia is. That's it. I mean, it's, I think it's hard. I mean, I, I would hate to be a VC. I mean, it's like how, how do you like how do you get people to come to you, right? And like how do you get that deal flow? And like how do you create that that reputation? And so I, I think the accredited laws are just like part of it. Um, and so I thought that part of the ICO craze, I think, was awesome, right? Like that anyone could participate. I just wish more of those projects turned out to be like real yeah. things rather than like exit scams, basically. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, unfortunately, humans were part of it and humans <laughs> kind of ruin everything, right? right. <laughs> yeah, we just... Well, I think the, the second round of it, if there is one, would be smarter, right? Like it would, there would ideally would be milestone based in some way. And I know it's difficult to like set milestones on startups, like they don't 
go to any particular plan, but but like, yeah. you know something like you know something that isn't just like here's all the money, and you own all of the token supply. Like <laughs> yeah. good luck, you, you know. Like that that's that was going to always be tough, but I hope it comes back in some form because I, I think as Balaji pointed out, I think that's a super powerful um, phenomenon or tool if we can figure out how to actually like use it in a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, to me, it seems like the f- real first step of true like global decentralization. Like we have this, like I don't know, like the way I feel, like well, why the hell are we even building any of this stuff? Is because there's a huge chunk of the planet that's being wasted on just financial stuff, right? Like twenty percent of the world GDP is just moving numbers around. If we remove all of that into software, like some kind of trust minimizing computing. I can work four days a week instead of five and get the same standard of living. <laughs> like getting this first step of like supplying capital to startups through these trust minimizing channels. I think that's like step one. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I mean, what you guys are doing is much closer to that, right? Like, I think where where you guys fit in is much more of an enabler of that kind of ecosystem. Um, you know, some people would argue that we we could have built as a layer two protocol on top of on top of something and um, like a, like but but there weren't any high performance blockchains right. around at the time like if solana had existed at the time maybe you know there's a pretty good argument to be made and we we would have saved ourselves you know many painful hours and months of of, of development work um but that, yeah i mean it's that's what i'm hoping that there's going to be more projects that are like hey do we build our own blockchain right. or do we go like use something that's good enough yeah, I mean, it's in our case, it was tough because, you know, one of the design objectives that we had was that we, we wanted uh, all of the miners to be full nodes, right? So we yeah. wanted all of the hotspots that people had to be full nodes on the network. Uh, and for the so we, we use this Honey Badger BFT consensus system. And we wanted all of the hotspots to be able to participate in the consensus group, right? So like rotate them almost at random, which is highly risky and, and you know, technically very challenging because a, a lot of these hotspots are sitting on consumer internet right behind all sort like the wildest like nat you know firewall like insane setups that that i didn't even know existed um somebody's still using like aol desks somewhere it's just i mean (laughs) i i I feel like i've been in the space for a long time i I feel like i i had seen a lot of the stuff before but i had no idea what was really out there until we started to experience it you know people with just like every single port in and out blocked except for like 80 you know, and it's like, how did you even do it? Like, you had no SSL even. Like, how, how did you even use the internet? Uh, and so that part's really hard, is that we, but that was one of our missions, like, from, from sort of to the decentralization point, was that there should be no, like, servers somewhere, like, just running this network, right? And, and so every 30 or so blocks in our network, like, the consensus group changes. And it's another, you know, what is it, 16 hotspots now that, that run it for the next 30 blocks. And so that's that's sort of interesting. I think building towards those systems is a really interesting sort of has interesting potential. So to the decentralization point, there is no one to really sort of attack. There's no like there's no there's no sort of centralization point that makes any sense to go after, right? And I think you build you end up being able to build I think pretty resilient systems that way. But it's a lot of engineering to do it well. It's difficult to explain it, and it's yep. not clear right now whether users actually like understand the benefit of that. Right, like we, we sometimes get you questions from our from our community members, like why don't you just split the tokens equally among like everyone, just like <laughs> hand them out, right? And and so there's a lot of like education and 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 um, sort of UX that needs to like go into this that I think is still really is still really really hard until you can get to sort of the point where like decentralization is really a thing that that people understand. Well, like you guys are also trying to incentivize decentralization from like a geographical perspective, not just like you know like. What is decentralization in Ethereum? Right. <laughs> Especially with like Infura and stuff like right. that. You know, yeah. like it's, it, those are... The, you can count the number of minor mining pools it takes to get to like two-thirds hash power in Ethereum on one hand. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think we, we have 4,000 like full nodes, you know, miners on the network. And I think that's unusual, you know, and it, yeah. it's, it's, it's different. Um, but yeah, the, the geographic part of what we're doing, I think, is makes it even harder, right? Yeah. It's not good enough to sell four thousand in San Francisco. That's like useless, right? You've got the best network in San Francisco, but that's that's like it. Um, and so it's been interesting to see who buys and who buys where, right? And some of them are obvious, you know, like you look at all the big tech hubs or the big cities. You end up in like San Francisco and LA and New York and Chicago and Austin and stuff like that. 
Uh, but then some of them are just unusual. You know, like there's a bunch in Alabama and there's a bunch in Modesto. And, you know, there's a, they're just sort of all over the place. But you've definitely got to put a little bit more effort in to, like, reach those places. Like, there's, they're, they don't seem to naturally flow out to, to some of the more, more rural areas. How long until you think we can do a coast-to-coast message? Oh, God. If Frank were here, he would say next week or something like that, but I'd probably be a little bit more conservative. Um, I mean, it's tough. It's like the U.S. is so big. I mean, it's yeah. like this way no one has succeeded in building a network here. It's like so massive. Um, so I don't know. I mean, it, it's it's going to be a tough one. Like We're working with some enterprises that have like logistics applications who are going to be building out like some of those like interstate links, basically. There is no coverage there. There's no residential areas where like people are going to build coverage. And so some of these customers are like so desperate for the application that they have in mind that they will build some of the infrastructure themselves. Uh, and so hopefully that's the kind of driver that like creates the, the the links between states and like some of the rural areas. And also like as it becomes like economically sane for someone to like go do that themselves, like we hope to see that kind of thing too. We've already seen people go above and beyond like and sort of become their own like telco. You know, they've got like massive like antenna setups, like huge rigs on on their on their roofs. Because um, it helps them with mining, right? Like they yeah. earn, they earn more in our like mining system, uh, and so we hope as like devices start to use the network and it starts to become like profitable effectively for people to actually like create network coverage in like uncovered areas, that we'll start to see that. We're just we're still too early for that right now. It takes a long time to like get adoption in the hardware space, unfortunately. I mean, like, I, 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 <laughs> I hate to bring this up, but like I feel like half of my life has been like the show Silicon Valley, and you guys are building, you know, part of the like internet too, right? <laughs> sort of. I mean, there's definitely like a lot of times that we watch the show, or we're like, like, did someone tell them about this yeah. part? Or like, because that's a lot of the stuff is like exactly stuff that we had going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like it's it like what we're doing. I think is is ridiculous on the face of it. And I, I one of the one of the phenomenons that we we still have is that even though the network is live and you can sort of see it on a map, companies especially just don't believe us. Like they don't actually believe that it does anything, right? Like yeah, I can see a bunch of dots on a map. I just don't believe you, right? And so you you've sometimes got to like literally drive around with with like a company executive in a car you know, with like a sensor and then they, then they sort of still only half believe it. Right. And so there's, there's a lot of disbelief that a, you know, sort of community type network could ever make sense. And I think the, the thing that makes it viable as far as I'm concerned is that there's economics involved, right? It's not just like a goodness of, of, of people's hearts sort of effort, because then you do run the risk of like, well, what about people turning it off? And like, but in our case, like there's no reason for anyone to turn it off because the incremental cost of leaving it on is minimal. And you're sort of participating economically in the network by by having it sit there, and so that seems to be working. Um, but it's still like you got some work to do to like convince the average person. And we always get the Silicon Valley comment, like always. It just seems like yeah. a like a parody of our of, of our existence. <laughs> even right, even down to like, should we build a rack mounted appliance? You, you know, like should we have a box three or whatever number it was? Like it's just a com- it's still a conversation that we actually have. So, yeah. A little bit, it's a little bit too uh, close for comfort sometimes. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's it's funny observing uh, observing art imitate life. <laughs> well, I mean, you know who the like the advisors on that show yeah. were. You know, a bunch of guys yeah. in this world. I think like Maneeb is in there from Blockside. He was like one of the advisors, and so I think it's all driven from you know all of our collective experiences of just how like difficult this all is, yeah. and like some of the ridiculous things that happen and just sort of the extraordinary amount of luck you have to have to like succeed in this in, in anything that we do and I think that, sh- that show did a really good job of, of like capturing so at least some of that and, and making it entertaining yeah I'm, I'm like I'm fascinated by like the fact that you guys are going to have like a almost a parallel network to everyone to like what we, what we have with iPhones and like traditional internet yeah it's yeah it, it, it's weird Right, right, like you've yeah. got this sort of like RF overlay network, right? That yeah. just is sort of there, and at some point it sort of connects back to the real network. And then one of the questions that I've always had in my head is like, what if it didn't have to connect back to the real network? Like, what if what if there was a way for like a lot of that to sort of stay inside that sort of RF land? Um, so if I wanted to build like you know bunker coin that didn't that was <laughs> completely resi- yeah. like fully fault tolerant resilient that didn't depend on the internet, that's right. We could propagate our block headers through. 
uh, helium, right? I, I think you totally could do something like that. And, yeah. and there's all sorts of like interesting work in like homomorphic encryption and stuff like that that allow you to like operate on encrypted data and like, yeah. you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that I could imagine doing in the parallel universe, right? If it made sense. One thing that's hard is that like the data rates of, that we use are so low. You know, like we're talking about all the way back to like modem, like early dial-up speeds. And at the lowest level is like a thousand bits per second. Okay. And at the highest level, it's like twenty thousand BPS. Um, and uh, and how does how does how do you actually discover the path between any two nodes? Like that? How how does the routing work? If you had like coast-to-coast -coast coverage, how would I even like figure out? Yeah. So the the, the wireless protocol is very dumb. Right, and so it's one of the reasons that it, it is able to be power efficient, and it's it's one of the ways that the divide the end device like hardware cost is very low. Um, if you think about a cellular network, you have a sort of consistent connection like ping ponging back and yeah. forth. You you know all of this extremely well, um, and it's so that when someone sends you a text message, you actually receive it in like somewhat real time, or someone calls you, it's like quasi real time, like a second delayed. Um, our network is nothing like that. Our, our devices are like broadcast devices, basically, right? They, they send, they broadcast a packet, and one or more hotspots will hear that packet. And whoever sort of routes it to the destination server the fastest is like the winner, basically, of that game and gets paid for that. And so in the coast-to-coast -coast system, like the device is just sort of driving along, just broadcasting, like whenever it has something to send. And that could be triggered on a timer, like we've got tracking devices that work off like accelerometers, for example, like is it moving, is it not moving? And those are the kinds of like triggers that would cause you to like send a packet. And then it's just a question of like which hotspots hear you rather than like, we don't have the handoff problem that a cellular network has, right? Where you have to stay connected to a, a cell tower and like that used to be, I don't know if you remember, like used to be so bad. Yeah. They've gotten it pretty good now, but it's a very different system than what we use. And the real benefit of doing it the way that our network works is that you don't have to maintain a connection with a tower. So it's very, very battery efficient. I'm basically asleep as the, as the sensor the whole time until something interrupts me and tells me to like transmit, right? And that could be like a timer or an accelerometer, like I said. So is, the, is there fault tolerance for that message? Is that handled by the client that's you, sending or by the intermediate servers? Yeah, I mean, you could do it either way. I mean, you, you could request acknowledgments, for example, right? So, so if I send a message, like I have to get a response to it, otherwise I'm gonna do something, right? I'm either gonna send it again and I'm gonna kind of keep sending it until on some sort of back off, or you, you can build like, that's sort of up to the client application. It's like, okay. what, what, what do you want to do there, right? Like, if you, if you don't get an acknowledgement that you sent the temperature reading, like, I don't think the protocol or the network right. should tell you what to do there, right? Okay. That, that, yeah. That's like, what do I want to do with that? Like, do I care that much about the temperature reading well, or do I want to send it again? My, my or, question more that, like, I'm, I'm, like, driving and I send my packet to, like, some hotspot. Yeah. Do I rely on the hotspot to retry or do I just continue sending it until the application says, Oh, no, hey. yeah, no, that's on the client. Like, okay, it, like it, you yeah. shouldn't trust the hotspot to do anything, basically, right? And, and yeah. that's the... The only reason the hotspot would do something is because it wants to get paid for it, basically, right? Is the, is the is this assumption that we have? And um, is the hotspot routing that through their local internet connection? Exactly. I got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Have you guys tried like RF to RF? We we want to do that. Like I think I think it's like we want hotspots to be able to like mesh with each other. Is yeah. is ultimately yeah, yeah. what we'd want to do. Um, there's a lot of questions about how to do that that yeah, well. Yeah, that, that's it's, like a fairly open problem. It's a huge problem. And I, I think there's like, you know, there's some interesting work in the space, like what Goten is doing, I think is super interesting. Totally different application, different kind of use case. But there's, in, you know, people are pushing the boundaries of like what RF mesh networking looks like. Um, but yeah, I mean, we haven't seen something like 802.15.4, which is like the Zigbee standard, like, that stuff just falls over after a few, after I think a hundred something nodes, and so it's it's difficult to imagine like doing it at a big scale. But you might end up in a situation where like you know a handful of hotspots could share a, an internet connection, for example, yeah. right, via RF, and I think that would be meaningful because sometimes it's difficult to get backhaul like in the middle of nowhere or end up having to rely on satellite or something. Do you imagine a helium network like bridging the Bering Strait? Never. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe I would like to um, tip it, of South America it, to it, like all the way to like the Horn of Africa. I mean, definitely. <laughs> I will say that the RF definitely travels in insane ways when water is involved. Like over, like we saw a packet get witnessed. I think forty nine miles away the, the other day. That was. Uh, transmitted in San Francisco and heard in like somewhere in San Jose, wow. mostly because it went straight down the, the bay there in the, in, the, in the middle. And so 
um, you get unusual like reflections and like behaviors. So I think the longest like recorded like LoRa packet is something like 700 miles. And so it's possible. That's you know, not like, shortwave, is it? Or is that shortwave? No, it's still um, 900, Big. like 900 something yeah. megahertz. So it's, it, it's possible, it's doable, but you need a lot of things <laughs> working, like you need a lot of things working in your favor. And so we, we just try and tell people like, you know, a few miles is like reasonable and maybe you get like 10 square miles or something like that in, a, in, a, in an urban area if it's flat enough, like Austin. Um, it just depends. It's like so hard to predict this stuff. But uh, are you guys like, I mean, like I'm just, my, my imagination is blowing up with this stuff because you can like have like a whole network of drones that you're controlling yep. globally. Like, yeah, dr uh, drones is a super interesting application actually because like most of that stuff's done via Bluetooth and like yeah. Wi-Fi now, which has like pretty, pretty short range. Um, so there's like all sorts of things that you, that you can do and it's like it's almost the curse of this kind of thing right where there's you guys probably run into the same problem where it's where it's like there are too many applications yeah. right and being able to like focus on on one is is difficult because you're always like well what about that you know what about that yeah. shiny thing over, over there it looks cool as well because um, I mean the literally like limitless number of applications that like, we've heard it all I think like mouse traps to like you know <laughs> it's just like it's all over the place and some of them are like absolutely huge use cases beyond the obvious one like utility meters was like the first one I think to really like catch on but there's, there's some like other crazy ones out there that we that we continually experience and one of them early on was like drone racing I don't know if you've ever seen that it's no like, oh god oh like uh, like People racing yeah. drones, yeah, yeah, through parking lots and stuff. Yeah, yeah, except now they're trying to do it autonomously, right? Oh. And so the dr so the drone is like programmed to like do whatever it does, and then you race against someone else who programmed their drone their own way, right? And you see you see who's better at it, I suppose. But yeah, th there's a there's a lot of stuff out there, and it, but it's it's difficult, like as a as a as a like as a thing trying to get traction. It's yeah. like where are you supposed to spend your time? I mean, I'm guessing you guys have the exact same yeah. kind of challenge. It's like there's so many different things that you could build with this. It's also like just a difficult question whether you're getting traction or crypto traction. And I don't think those are two exactly the same. Right. Yeah, in our world it's like a lot of our users are not are not crypto people. Like oh they're, cool. Yeah, they're they're just not they find the thing the crypto part novel. You know, but on the the hot both on the hotspot side and on the end user side, right? A lot of these guys are just like IoT enthusiasts or like businesses with use cases or developers like sort of telco anarchists who like hate Comcast and like want it to, you know, want it to die and like see this as like a way to potentially kill them off eventually. And so it's all over the place. I mean, there's certainly some crypto guys in there for sure. I would guess probably like 30% of our users are, are crypto heavy or something like that. So, so that's been interesting. And I think because we dressed it up as like a consumer product and we, you know, we had like a sort of cool little like commercial ad thing for it. And like, it looks like a consumer product, right? And, and so it attracted a different group of people than I think pr probably pretty much any other crypto project has, and that's been interesting. That, in, that's in, pretty in a, cool in a good and bad yeah. way, because it, it's like I lost the twelve words, and it's like, well, shit, <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't have them. There's no forgot password button on, on the uh, you know, and, and so some of that is just like really bad blockchain UX, and, yeah. and and some of it is just like this is no one understands what this means. Like yeah. you you are the only holder of the keys to your thing. Is not a you don't have a parallel to that. The only parallel would be like I, I dropped cash on the ground, basically, right? Yeah. I, I lost it, right? And, and so people aren't used to that paradigm of like I have no I have no one to ask for my for my credentials, right? And, and that's weird. It to me it seems like that's kind of like one of the key problems in the space. But not I don't think it's like a technology problem. It's just I think once people understand that there's like a secret they're supposed to keep. They'll do it, right? They'll like write it down on a piece of paper and put it in their like sock. But what is an equivalent drug? thing to that in normal life? Like, what is the thing that you don't, you can't like th that if you lose, you can't ever recover? That people use on a regular basis. You know what I mean? I can't think of anything um, that's like like I don't know, like a safe deposit box key. And the bank probably could open it for you. You know what I mean? It's like you always feel like there's some recourse for screwing it up, like a passport when you're traveling. You go to the embassy, right? You know, there's always a way out, and and that's like that's what's different, you know. And it and it's um, we haven't had it happen too much, yeah. but it it definitely happened, you know, where it's like the the keys are gone, and in our model, like the hotspots are owned by you know wallets that people are usually running on their phone, and so if you lose the keys, not only did you lose the keys to like whatever HNT you had in the wallet, 
also your hotspot is still associated with that wallet. Yeah, yeah. And there isn't really a good way of like transferring ownership to it because like the owner can't sign any transaction to like, you know, release it, right? And so it's weird. I mean, those are just the kind of problems that I, I think everyone will run into. Like, I don't know what the statistic is of like lost Bitcoin keys or Ethereum keys or whatever it is, but it's, I remember I think it there's about 2 number. million Bitcoins that are lost. It's a crazy number. Yeah, which yeah, is like a substantial amount, right? 10%. 10 yeah. $16 billion it's, worth. It's just, it's <laughs> yeah. just insane. Presumably a bunch of it was lost like in the early days, you yeah. know, where like no, people were buying the pizza for 10000 yeah. or whatever. But, but um, yeah, that's, but that's, a, you know, that's just a thing that we are like acutely exposed to because there's a bunch of like non-crypto savvy users that operate hotspots. Doesn't matter how many like big flashing red boxes you put, you, you put, right? It's just not a, it's not a thing. What do you, what do you guys, I guess, are working on in terms of, are you mo mostly trying to fix problems for those folks or are you more orient orienting yourself to like the IOT, like? Yeah, we're not, we're not spending any time on that problem, you know, okay. for, for better or for okay. worse. Um, we probably should be, but we're, we're just not right now. Everything for us right now is just very focused on the device side of the network. Like yeah. what, is, what is the way, like, what are the, what are the shortcuts that exist to, like, helping people onboard devices more quickly? And that's, like, developer communities, it's startups, it's, like, R&D shops inside big enterprises, it's, like, all over the place. Um, that's where we're really focused the most right now, is, like, creating, like, interoperability and, and good developer tooling. And, because a lot of this stuff in the hardware world is still stuck in a very old place as I'm sure you yeah. experienced in your in your prior career um, and so building stuff in hardware is still really hard like it's complicated there's not good like there's not anything that resembles like good debugging or you know help you know to, for how to do this and so I think just trying to improve the state of like tooling in the space is also very important um, so that we're still you know there's still a lot of things that we we need to fix on the blockchain side or that we wish were better um, a lot of like decentralization initiatives that move control further away from us that that we're spending time on um, stuff like that i mean the like people wonder why there's so many projects that are behind schedule and that's because it's just an infinite problem right like it as like just building like a decentralized network means you have to solve like 10 different computer science problems all at once it's insanely yeah. complicated it's i yeah. mean it, it's um yeah, and just like rolling in, you know, the fact that like we're running on really low power hardware. Yeah. You know, with like a gig of RAM and, <laughs> you know, like no processing power to speak of, you know, re relatively behind like some NAT or like firewall set up on a shitty home internet connection. It's just really hard. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of like different ways that I, I think we might improve things or change things in the network. But yeah, I mean, it's just like, it was also a reminder, like looking back at sort of some of the projects that announced what they were trying to do. I mean, it's just so complicated, it's so difficult. Um, and that's why I, I think like layer one type things like, like what you guys are doing, hopefully succeed because it makes life a lot easier for the people actually building like problem solving, you know, applications because yeah. they don't have to build an entire blockchain. Like we've seen that already with Tenderman. I think that's like right. a, a really good like success story because they solved one aspect of the of the network consensus right you can go boot it up and now you have a blockchain right yeah i, th I think it's you know it's still it needs more you, yeah you, you, you know what i mean yeah. it's like it needs to get to the point where it's like i'm building a react application or something right which is still yeah. painful but but <laughs> rel re relatively easier yeah um and then it's like you might really start to see some of these ideas come to fruition but yeah, yeah i mean it's it's tough. I, mean, I know you guys are about to launch. I, I feel very proud that we did launch, you know, because I think there were a lot of like a lot of white papers that never got there, you know. And so to yeah. sort of say that you're going to do a thing and actually just go do it, it was 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 nice. Yeah. And it wasn't perfect. I mean, we we didn't do exactly what we we wanted to do in every aspect. Um, but I also think that's just a, a thing that a lot of crypto projects should probably take more to heart to some degree. It's like it is important to like ship some of this stuff, and and it. I know there's like protocol level things that are hard to change in the future and like the sort of need to get it perfectly right to some degree at the start, but it really puts you in peril yeah, of like yeah. never actually yeah. like launching a thing. Cause as you said, it's like an infinite, infinitely layered problem, right? Yeah. And it's easy to just keep sitting there fixing problems. And, and had we not launched, I don't think we would have 
worked on the most important problems. Like we would have kept working on the things that we thought were most important that were actually not the thing, right? And um, just having like done a lot of startup stuff in the past, like it's always true. Like when you launch, like you just weren't, you're completely blind to whatever the, the real problem was until you actually gave a, another person your, your product. Yeah, I, f- I feel like startups have this kind of phases where you're building stuff that's kind of pre-product market fit. And then you get traction and then you like fix a bunch of problems there, but then you start tapering off and you're like, I need to make another pre-product market fit that. <laughs> and I think it's like, it's how tech debt comes to be, right? Like I think some, you know, we, we all look at like big enterprises and kind of laugh at how terrible the, 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 the products are in some cases, like Salesforce is just so bad. It's like, yeah, but that's a business that prints, you know, yeah. tens of billions of dollars a year. And the, the reason they got there was that they were fixing the most important problems at the time and it, it meant that other stuff got left behind. And so it's a really easy thing to be like arrogant about until you sort of are in the trenches, you know, trying to do it. And then you're like, oh, that's why. It's because I only had like six people and I needed to solve, you know, <laughs> 600 problems and I couldn't do them all. And so, you know, 590 of them got put in a pile somewhere. And, yep. and so uh, so I do think that's important. It's just hard in the crypto stuff because you, you there's a there's like real security problem that you don't have like in other applications, right? There's like there's like money involved at, at, at some level and that makes the the threat like vector very, very different than, you know, I released a game that had a bug in it or something, right? And and that's yeah. so I get it. I mean I, I totally get why it happens. It's just a it's just a, a thing I, I I wish happened less. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty tough to get both I, I guess the way I think of it, it's really hard to get consistency and availability at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Right. For for anything that we're building, like it's just, it. I think at least for us, we've been, we're we've been framing it as mainnet beta. The mainnet part means that we, fairly confident consistency is rock solid. That it's pretty hard to like muck with the state. The beta part means that there's probably some five dollar wrench attacks. That we haven't thought of that could just knock right. over nodes like RPC denial services, right? That just like exhaust resource exhaustion, that kind of stuff. It's like impossible to know where all those gremlins are until somebody like accidentally writes a bad client that just right. <laughs> that does it. I mean, even the you know like even something like Bitcoin had you know many of the opcodes that were like highly dangerous right. in the early days, <laughs> yeah. and it's like. <laughs> and their system is relatively, you know, yep. in terms of like the complexity, like compared to some of the, the, the current stuff, um, genius, but a lot, a hell of a lot simpler. And maybe the genius is that it is a hell of a lot simpler. Right. Yep. Um, but even then, it's like, you know, there's still danger, like just lurking. Right. And, yep. and so it's, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm still, I'm optimistic still. I mean, I, I, I'm very curious to see what happens with something like Filecoin. Which I think t- was for us like really one of the inspirations for like doing what we did. It was like it was the first time that we had seen someone try and take the like utility part of the network as like the sort of proof thing. Yeah. And that was for us like oh that's clever. You know I, w- I wonder if like we could do something like that in a- in our world rather than just apply like proof of work to the problem or something, which is really un- unrelated to what we're trying to do. And so I'm like optimistic still that that turns out to be a good project. And I feel like it was the first of the okay this is a real team with like a real protocol behind it with like IPFS. Um, but we still haven't seen it yet. I know there's a testnet. I can't sync to the testnet ever when I try it. So like I'm not... I'm, Storage I'm, is just I'm so just, hard. <laughs> yeah, it's just incredibly hard. And we know Chia is like doing something, you know, not not file storage, but using sort of a similar kind of concept for their mining. And it's just all of it's so hard. So I'm optimistic still that, that we'll see some of these projects like Surface uh, really solve like good problems. So, like, have skepticism still, you know, especially because, like, S3 is so cheap and it's, you know, like, is there really a problem to be solved there? But it'll be good to see if there is, you know, like, how, how do people sort of react to that and, like, does it resonate and does it, does it get used or not? I mean, like, with you guys, I think there's a chance for these projects to be 100 times cheaper than enterprise right. solutions, right? And that's, like, kind of, I think light bulbs will start going off. Like, if if, like, businesses that are, like, using sensors for you guys all of a sudden realize hey we can have like a hundred times more sensors for the same cost they just exactly. start throwing that's like, exactly right right and but, it's it's almost like we're, part of what makes it hard though is that you're trying to like now explain to an enterprise that a use case is possible yep. that they thought was like economically impossible or like physically impossible like the battery life wouldn't work or whatever 
Um, and even with like comparable networks in like Europe, for example, like there's a bunch of low power networks in Europe that have, that were built. There's still like you know 24 euros a year to use it, which is still like astronomically large, like given what people are trying to do with it. And so yeah, I think like orders of magnitude reduction in cost like changes what's possible, right? Yep. And, and so um, it'd be interesting to see if that applies to something like Filecoin, right? Where storage already is like commoditized and already is very cheap. But if it was like a hundred times cheaper, right, exactly. I could record everything about my life twenty four seven. Right. <laughs> and then the question is like, would you use like would you use Filecoin to do it? And it'd be really interesting. That's why I'm like fascinated to see it because it's a use case that pretty much everyone has, right? Yeah. Like everyone has like some amount of like file storage, whether it's yeah. photos or like text messages or whatever. And like, is it is it a does it does it work Does it end up working that way? Does like does someone like Apple end up using it as like the back end storage system for like iCloud? Just because it's like thousands of times cheaper than storing it wherever wherever they're doing it today or however they're doing it today, that will mean that it's that it worked, right? Is that it, yeah. it becomes like the the way that people do things. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I I don't know what their plan for launching mainnet is, but I'm optimistic about it. Yes, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that a bunch of these projects that everyone's waiting for launch this year, and uh, it'll be an interesting year. Yeah, I mean, it's like Filecoin, Chia, I don't know, what else is there that's... I haven't been keeping an eye too much. I mean, like, too busy, I feel like, to, to follow a lot of the stuff. But th those were the two that I was most interested in in, in watching. Um, I'm, I'm, like, fascinated by folks working on zero-knowledge proofs. Like, it, to me, it seems like alien math. <laughs> it, it's like... A, a, but after a while, after banging my head against the wall, it, I'm starting to see that um, there's a lot of parallels there, right? You're creating structures within, like, mathematics, like, within, like, how you're composing, you know, primes and stuff like that. You can create some, like, effectively data structures. Yeah. I mean, so it's something, you know, like, it, it's, a, it's a thing that we want to look into for what I think is the worst part of our network, which is that you have to know where hotspots are. Yep. And I hate that. Right, that like anyone who owns a hotspot like is sort of announcing themselves on a map. It like sucks. That's like the worst part of. It's also a really hard problem to solve because you need to show like a coverage. You have to have some sense of coverage, right? And so, we were always toying like, is there a way to like do do some zero knowledge thing that meant that the proof of coverage scheme still worked, but you didn't actually have to sort of reveal where you were. Maybe there is, but then I still don't know how you solve the like. How do I create a coverage map, right? Because that's the that's the question that everyone has, right? It's like, if I'm going to deploy a device, like, am I in a coverage area or not? Um, so that's a, that's a tough one, but it, it's it's something that I, I hope that we will eventually improve because I do think it's the worst the worst part of the worst part of our system by a mile. That one that's a tough problem, I think, for everyone in the space because right now we're kind of getting a free pass. Like, even Bitcoin is absolutely has zero privacy protection, and it's still fairly private. Because kind of the bad actors are not like looking at it too closely. Like the the actors that are looking at it are, are not bad yet. <laughs> oh, not bad enough. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. yeah. But like, it, I think that problem will become really bad pretty pretty quickly. I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I know people have been like worried that regulators will play like a very oversized role in something like zcash right like w will they start to make it difficult for exchanges to carry zcash in different kind of, and, and all the other different privacy coins i just use zcash as like probably the most well-known um and it's like will they make it impossible for like exchanges in those jurisdictions to actually like carry privacy coins right and i think that's going to be I, i'm honestly hopeful like I, I i guess i have like a super optimistic view of the world of, of, of regulation i think they're more concerned with protecting consumers that they're more concerned with protecting regular people because the state has a lot of other tools to get catch the bad guy, bad guys. Right. That they have plenty of other tools, right? But if we ship a product that anyone on the internet could exploit and like hurt regular people, that's like a non-starter. Yeah. Well, hopefully that's right, uh, and that seems to be the way that it's right. it, it's gone so far. I mean, um, but yeah, I, I do think those are to the multi-coin thesis, like privacy is a, a feature, not a product. I think they, they describe it as, and hopefully we'll start to see some of that stuff just like yeah. become table stakes. Like if you're doing anything, it needs to be somewhat private and that's just like how this all works going forward. But as you said, like we've been sloppy about it to some degree, right? And like Bitcoin is sloppy about it. And like, you know, it's just, 
it's it's like you got so many problems to solve <laughs> that it's like you know yeah. trying to anonymize like location but still show like some sense of coverage is is just an, a problem that we don't know how to solve right now um and hopefully like as as helium gets bigger like other people than us start to help attempting to solve that problem i mean that's the that's the win right is that like a pr yeah. is opened on like blockchain core and it's like location privacy is its name and then you look at it and it's like actually like a perfectly viable like plausible like you know either implementation or description of like how yeah. you do this um so that's where we're trying to push it all is that is that if this gets big enough and useful enough that we will not be the only contributor to the project and that's when i think it's like really you know r really decentralized yeah likewise like i think real decentralization isn't so much in the number of nodes but like the number of brains yeah i think that's exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. right yeah i mean it's you know like we said we got four thousand hotspots but right now like we are the main code pushers yeah. and, and we 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 hope that that changes you know over time it's just hard to tell like you get so many mixed messages about like what decentralization means like from regulators from communities and at some at some point it seems like people just don't care like if you look at like ripple for example or x sorry xrp yeah two completely separate entities um it's difficult to tell whether people actually care about that right like xrp to me seems almost ridiculous right in terms of whether it's like properly decentralized whether it is even a blockchain like you can't go back to the start of it and and you know no one seems to have really cared about that right like the market cap of the coin is huge ripple the company just like selling it nonsense you yeah. know it's like maybe we're like are we just wasting our time like with, with, with all of this like <laughs> could we have just done it that way you know so it's hard to i mean it's it's like you get sort of a mixed message both from the market and from the regulators yeah. about what you're supposed to really do and what's valuable and what isn't and like iota's kind of in the same you know boat and, and sort of closer to home for us it's like very centralized as far as i'm concerned like the coordinator goes down or the whatever and the network's just gone you know, and so, and so it's been gone for like a week. Right, no one cares. It's, it's still a perfect <laughs> blockchain. You can't hack it. It's impossible <laughs> right. to break right now. It's still still trading it. <laughs> yeah. It hasn't been down much. You, you know, like in terms of its price, and so it's very difficult to like value decentralization in the short term, right? Because yeah. it, it 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 on the face of it is valueless. You, you know, given the given what the market is like signaling to you. Yeah, it it doesn't make a lot of sense, but <laughs> cool. Well. Um, this has been like a super fun chat. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Really good to have you. Do you want to like plug Helium? Where, where can people go to find out more? I about feel like it? I plugged Helium a lot, yeah. but um, <laughs> yeah, we, we own all the Helium addresses. So Helium.com is is um, sort of our main page. There's a store there, Helium.com slash store. Uh, we don't have any hotspots until May, but if you want to be on the sort of next batch of, of, of miners that join the network, definitely head over there, pre-order. I think we'll be. I think we're still on target to ship them in May, although the coronavirus is uh, lurking yeah, yeah. For, for anyone manufacturing electronics. But I think we're still good for May. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, I'll, I'll I'll try to get one for the next batch. <laughs> so it'll be after our launch, I hope, and then yeah. I'll have time. I hope that goes well. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank right. you.